Welcome to the Cello Sherpa Podcast, where we explore all aspects of the climb to the summit from intermediate musician to the professional stage. Check us out online at thecellosherpa.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thecellosherpa. I'm Joel Dallow, your host. I joined the cello section of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra in 1999 and founded the Riverside Chamber Players based in Roswell, Georgia in 2003. Today's episode is sponsored by Clear Resources, your premier resource for compliance, legal, ethics, and risk. For more information, visit them online at clearresources.com. Last week, we released part one of this incredibly informative conversation I had with Rainer Eudicus, Brad Ritchie, and Tommy Carpenter. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, I recommend starting with that episode before you listen to this, since we are going to jump right back into the middle of that conversation now. For me, it's very hard when I listen to an audition to get past intonation and rhythm problems. Intonation probably for me being the highest priority that if somebody really plays out of tune, and when I say out of tune, and you guys maybe will agree with this, it doesn't mean missing some notes, playing a few notes out of tune, but you can tell when somebody has a good sense of where the pitch is and misses something versus playing a whole passage that ends up wildly out of tune. And for me, it's very hard for me to get past pitch problems to even start to listen to, is this person a good musician? And then enter rhythm, (laughs) A lot of people rush when they're nervous. They do strange things. And again, that's another red flag. But in the interview with Eric Kim, he said rhythm was the most important thing in an audition. And I definitely think it's up there. But I don't know that I could listen to somebody that had excellent rhythm, but not the greatest sound. It didn't play very well in tune either. So any further thoughts on on those things? Well, Brad covered this a little bit but about bow dexterity, but... In terms of the lyrical passages, I'll use overlooked a little heavily here, but Portado trying to, like in the Brahms, trying to, to play a nice long phrase over multiple bars, that's an issue that I heard with a lot of people that they just couldn't sustain the sound. And that would be Brahms' second symphony movement two. Right. The opening melody in there is what you're referring to, having a long line and a long phrase. A long phrase, and then also Tchaikovsky Fourth Symphony Second Movement, also trying to just make a long phrase. Yes. Yeah, so Joel, to address the th- two things that you were talking about, I can remember my mindset for practicing when I was taking auditions a long time ago. As far as intonation goes, I would record myself and get it to the point where there was not one note during that excerpt that I would adjust in either direction. So I would just do it over and over again until I could record it and be happy with every single note intonation-wise. And then on the other side, I would be able to play it perfectly with a metronome over and over again until it was perfect with a metronome. And then you got to throw that all out the window. And like Rainer was saying, you just got to sit down and play your eight bars of Beethoven or your eight bars of Brahms and prove that you are a musician. And hopefully somewhere in your body, your fingers will remember where all those notes go and at what point in time they fall. And that's the way I tried to teach myself to play in tune, in rhythm. But then at some point, you just got to forget it and prove that you're a musician. Rainer, you have anything to add? Yeah, I guess I, I would say that if I had to pick to prioritize pitch or rhythm, sort of like you said, one without the other is really not worth very much. Yeah. 
Like I, I had written for a few candidates, like great cellist who doesn't play in tune. And then I thought about that later and it's like, well, are they then? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, I it's had cruel. that same struggle. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cruel to rehash it in that way, but there's wiggle room in, in every aspect. Like someone can play a couple notes out of tune or like maybe, you know, if, if it's Beethoven five, if, if the first dotted rhythm makes you perk up wondering, wait a minute, was that, was that tight? But then all the other ones are exactly in the pocket. Who cares? Yeah. I think it's like, we've been saying if, if it's a systemic thing where it's like, they just cannot play in rhythm or they cannot play consistently in tune, then that's a problem. Yeah. Those are things that are really hard for us to overlook. I think it's fair to say that we've established that pitch and rhythm and sound, but sound is probably a little more subjective than those two things. So if we've established that those two things are there, we're happy with that. What are the fundamentals that people should be focusing on beyond that for a strong audition to really stand out to a committee? I think if I had to generalize, I would say variety. That's variety of color. That's variety of interpretation, the way you phrase all of those things. I mean, we, you know, we talk a lot and we spend so much of our practice talking about pitch and rhythm, but that's really, that's just a bare minimum for anyone to even want to hear you again. Mm-hmm. It takes so much of our labor to achieve that, but that's just a prerequisite to be a professional, right? If someone comes in and, and every excerpt is well executed, but they all sound like they could be by, you know, Franz Milk Toast or whatever, if they all sound the same, then that's no good either. You have to show that you're malleable, no matter what the position is or really what the instrument is. That's the nature of what we do in an orchestra is we play this this really wide range of repertoire. And if we all played everything and it just kind of sounded the same, then that wouldn't be very interesting for anyone, would it? No. So variety. So variety and vibrato, variety and color. So then how can you describe to somebody? So let's say we have W.C. Lemaire and... Strauss, Heldon, Lehman. How do you describe to somebody what the difference is between those two excerpts to really show what they're made of and to show a difference between what they're supposed to sound like? Is that possible without a cello? <laughs> I mean, if, if you're just talking nuts and bolts and mechanics, I mean, something as simple as bow speed, you know, like if you're playing the, the opening of Ein Heldon, Lehman, you're going for density, you're going for deep resonance. You're the subterranean backup for the horn, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in something like the Debussy, it's the bow has to move a lot more quickly. There has to be a lot more air in the sound. You know, maybe it's not all flat hair on the bridge glued, trying to crank out sound. Maybe it's, it's, there's breath. I mean, it's, you know, there's ocean spray in the sound. It's not all just dirt and earth and, that's a really good description, though, and that's exactly what I was looking to encapsulate because, okay. I mean, those excerpts are so different, obviously. And yeah. I say to people, it needs to sound more French. I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so some final thoughts from you guys, some things that you think we could touch on, some advice you'd like to offer. I have some advice. I think for me winning this audition, I was really in rhythm in terms of not the musical aspect of it, but in terms of I was playing... A lot of concerts. I was at New World Symphony at the time, and I was also performing a lot, not just excerpts, but solo repertoire, chamber music repertoire. And I was performing for people and in, in audiences. And I think that really gave me a great leg up 
going into the audition. I know with the whole pandemic and how little there was in terms of performing opportunities out there for people. So that was difficult. But if at all possible, if you're taking an audition and you're preparing these lists of excerpts, I would encourage people to also try to step away from the excerpts every now and then and maybe try to play some chamber music or try to find a concert or just to get some more performance experience, get the ball rolling with your nerves, with how you handle pressure. And it's also a good idea to, to just take a little break from excerpts every now and then because they can get stale if you hammer them day in and day out and you practice them in a way where you have no direction with them. You're just kind of doing the same stuff. So I would say if you could have an opportunity to branch out and to put yourself in uncomfortable positions and performing, and that would just make you more comfortable on the day, as I have found when I won this job in the orchestra. Yeah, because a lot of it is the preparation of what are you going to do when you get out on stage and you're very nervous? How are you going to play under pressure? Because there's a lot of great cellists out there that they walk out on stage and fall apart. They don't figure out the system of how to play in this system, how to operate in this audition pressure cooker of a system, which is a whole different thing than just playing the instrument. And I think that a lot of cellists out there, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of cellists that we didn't advance in this audition were great players, but a lot of great players out there when they feel that pressure of an audition, which is unlike any other pressure that we face as musicians, probably couldn't handle it. And that's why things just kind of went haywire. Yeah. And so just to be a more well-rounded musician and just have more experiences than just practicing exercise all the time. I would say, I mean, I told you how my first audition was, I was really, really nervous. And each one after that got progressively better, quickly better, because I had the mindset that I wasn't going to let it get me down. It wasn't a losing situation. It was a learning situation. And I distinctly remember like whenever I would go to an audition and knock at the job, I distinctly remember just saying like, all right, give me another one next week and I'm going to win it. And if that didn't work out, just give me another one. And so I know it's easier said than done, but if you can take those losses, not as a failure, but as a learning experience, even if it's just something as simple as, okay, I felt a little less uncomfortable this time, eventually you're going to get to the point where you're playing comfortably. I mean, like Tommy was saying, an audition is not like a concert. It's not like an orchestra rehearsal. It's not like a, playing a solo. It's a completely separate animal. And when you're in a new situation like that, you're going to be nervous. Right now, if I had to sit principal and play a solo in the cello section in front of the whole orchestra, I would be nervous because I haven't done that in many years. Whereas if I go on stage and play a chamber music concert, in general, I'm not nervous at all. It's just putting yourself in that new situation. So the quicker that new situation can become not new, more you can just go out there and take, I think the faster you're going to be comfortable and put yourself in a position where you're playing the way you want to play. And then it's just a matter of them liking you as well and having the right day and having everything click. Yeah. That's really good advice. Yeah. I feel like we could have a whole episode just on, on this topic, really how to actually prepare for the day of an audition. But if I were to kind of continue along that thought that Brad had set up when it comes to 
preparing yourself for the situation of an audition, which is a very distinct musical act compared to what any of us actually do on any given day. The biggest thing that I have learned to do and spend a lot of time doing when preparing for auditions and for, for certain performances, I do a lot of visualization where, you know, I sit in my practice room and I don't just play through the excerpt. I sit there, I close my eyes. I think, what will it be like when I'm sitting on stage and I'm in some hall that I probably don't know that I've never been in. And there's a screen with a bunch of people that I may or may not know that are sitting behind the screen that are listening. And I have one shot and and I, I've gotten to the point I can raise my heart rate at will just thinking about that. And I get sweaty and, and it's, you know, it's not as good as taking the audition and actually doing it, using it as a practice run, but you can, the mind is a powerful thing and you really can simulate it to an extent what it's really like to sit down and record yourself too. And that adds pressure. Anyone who's recorded themselves knows how much it sucks to do that. Yeah. So if you sit in your room and, and you like what I would do for an audition that I was recently preparing for, I would text my wife who's upstairs and I would say, pick five excerpts uh-huh. and she would text me five excerpts and I would turn on the recorder and I would sit down and I would be like, this is a round yeah. and play through all of them and then listen back and see how much I hated it. I would really recommend that everyone do that. And even if you haven't taken very many auditions, you still, I'm sure, know what it's like to be nervous for a concert or be nervous just playing for someone who you respect and whose opinion you value. That kind of thing really does go a long way and you have to practice it just like anything else. If I were to give another tip, it would be, you know, for for each excerpt, there's some, especially for like for principal auditions, if there's a solo excerpt and, you know, it can be so personal the way you would play it. And I listen to a lot of recordings and sometimes you hear a recording and this could be true of 2D excerpts too. For example, like I, I recently had to play the slow moment from Brahms 3, the excerpt from Brahms 3. And I have a specific recording. It's the Berlin Phil with Simon Rattle. And there's just something about the way that that cello section plays the pickup to the very first measure, the and I heard that recording and I was just like, what have I been doing for the last decade? Why have I never played it like that? And I actually have scrawled at the top of my excerpt, BPO slash rattle. And before I play, I imagine that I'm sitting in that section yeah, and I'm playing with those amazing cellists on that stage with that orchestra. And it really, it has a concrete effect on the way that I played it. I'm a hundred percent sure of that. So I think whether it's the concerto, maybe there's a recording that you really like and, you know, you write the name of that soloist on the top of your music and you say, I want to, I want to channel that energy. Same with, you know, if there's unaccompanied Bach or any of the excerpts, there's, as Joel has covered in previous episodes, we have so many resources available to us for free recordings, videos, it's all out there. Go out. And if, if it's something that you don't know, if it's a piece you haven't played, go out and find a recording that you like. And try to kind of gel with that. Again, you have to to circle back. You have to convince the committee that you know this music and that you can embody this music and play it in a convincing way. And that, that for me is a great way to help do that. Yeah. That's the thing. It seems so simple because what we want to hear is something that just sounds like we expect it to hear. And then if there's a wrong note or something, then it's not really earth shattering because the excerpt sounds the way you expect it to hear in that simple 
simplicity, though, is so much complexity to get there. And it's really challenging. And I've also found the other thing that I found interesting about recording is you can use recording, I feel like, in two different ways. One is listen back and be horrified at everything that you heard. Or play it, like you're saying, you visualize that pressure cooker that you're in. Play the excerpt, and then when you listen back to it, do you hear the same thing that you heard when you played it? Because being in the moment is the hardest part about this. And when you're really in the moment and you're really focused on what's happening in the moment, that's when we are hyper aware of what's going on. And we want to make sure that we're hyper aware of the right things. So if you feel like, oh, well, I knew that note was out of tune when I played it. So not so worried about the fact that it was out of tune. But when you listen back, did you hear the same thing that you expected to hear? Because so often we go back and listen to the recording and say, oh, I can't believe I sound so terrible. I didn't know I sounded that bad. That can be the worst part. We should probably do a podcast on, on like preparation and stuff because that's yeah. a big chunk of time. But another thing that I feel like is worth mentioning that helped me was setting a timer when you're practicing because mm-hmm. you don't want to get wrapped up in the Strauss-Heldenleben for 45 minutes and then you don't have any time to do to any other of the, of the excerpts. Yeah. So... I feel like that's a huge help is just to set a time and say, I'm just going to practice Mozart 35 for 10 minutes and then just divide your time up like that. Well, this has been an amazing conversation with you three with so much incredible information for our audience. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Cello Sherpa podcast. Be sure and catch our next episode where we interview Stephanie Voss, the owner of Voss Violins in Atlanta, Georgia. We talk about the rigorous process she was put through just to get admitted to school, her extensive training in Germany, and with the seasons changing, her tips for maintaining your string instruments. We're here to serve you. So if you have questions or topic suggestions you would like to cover in future episodes, please use the contact page on our website, thecellosherpa.com, or tweet them at us, at thecellosherpa. You will also find information about the specific services we offer on the website. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. This helps us climb the rankings so other people can find us. Today's episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Joel Dallow.